0: Welcome into the Wednesday Bible study from the Rick and Bubba Broadcast Plaza and Teleport. Still, uh, no men here in the room with me as we continue to go through the, um, you know, the, the the best case scenarios that we can dealing with the the pandemic and the ongoing COVID nineteen. Uh, trying to do our best to minimize uh, opportunities for us to be infected, but, but at the same time living our life. And the good news is we have this uh, uh, option for you to watch here on streaming either live. Or uh, archived, or listen to the audio only on the podcast. A couple of uh, notes you need to make if you are listening to this um, uh, on the uh, the week of this is April the I mean it's October twentieth. Is that right, Andrew? October the twentieth today. Uh, so coming up uh, this weekend, twenty two is it the twenty second, twenty first? My goodness, October twenty first today. Uh, coming up this weekend on Sunday night, October the twenty fifth, uh, we will actually be doing. A uh, man, church at my home church, Shades Mountain Baptist Church in Birmingham. And if you are in that area or around that area, you want to join us, we'll be in the big worship center. So we won't have any problems on cutting off the numbers because we have plenty of room to spread out, uh, 6 o'clock. And we'll be talking about one of the probably most important messages that I've ever been asked to deliver because I think it's the one one of these, these important points in Scripture that uh, we are not fully... Uh, implementing properly. There, 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 certainly, there's always exceptions, but I think it's an issue that we struggle with. What What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? What is it? What is discipleship? Uh, we talk a lot about that at themanchurch.com, and we have a discipleship strategy. But what exactly is our goal, and what does it mean to be a disciple? And I'll be sharing that message uh, that that God has laid out, and is throughout Scripture. We'll talk about that at Man Church in Birmingham coming up this Sunday night. You may be watching this and listening, going, Rick, I'm nowhere near Birmingham, but thanks for bringing it up. Uh Aha! But you can watch it live because we'll be streaming it as well. So write down this website, shades, S-H-A-D-E-S, dot org, slash live, L-I-V-E. And then you go 6 o'clock Central Time, p.m. on Sunday evening, and you click on that, and you can watch the service as well. Michael Adler will be uh, leading our, our worship. We'll have a testimony from one of the men uh, there at my home church uh, that has been involved in uh, in the man church uh, discipleship strategy with with our men's ministry, uh, and then I'll be bringing the message. And we'll have an opportunity for you to plug in, even online, to some small uh, group Bible studies. We also have a couple of other man churches coming up: uh, Troy, Alabama, First Baptist Troy on November the second; Columbus, Mississippi, November the eighth. If you'd like to start planning for 2021. We're going to be a lot of places, uh, so go to rickandbubba.com under events or Burgess Ministries under events, and you'll find it there. So Let's open up in, in a word of prayer. We'll be finishing the book of 1 Peter today. Lord, thank you for our time together. Thank you for this opportunity to unpack your word and to hear um, you know, what you inspired uh, Peter uh, to say and, and Silas to write down uh, as we wrap up 1 uh, Peter today and prepare uh, to walk through 2 Peter beginning next week. Uh, Lord, will you please uh, le- let us hear from you today? Uh, may our, our spirits be receptive to hear and sensitive to your prompting. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. So if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, I'm going to start our, our chapter 5, the wrap-up of First Peter, by going to the Gospel of John. Uh, the reason why I'm doing that is because of what Peter writes about here in chapter 5, I believe is a much older man uh, you can make a very strong case. He's remembering when he was a younger man, uh, the, the, one of the oldest of, uh, of the original 12, we believe, because of the way they placed him in a place of honor, which we'll talk about today, but still much younger than he is when he's writing First and Second Peter as uh, he gets uh, to what he believes. And he'll tell us in Second Peter that Jesus has revealed to him is, uh, he's cl- the closing days of his life here on earth. So when he's writing chapter 5, let's go all the way back to John chapter 21 and this wonderful moment that we unpacked uh, in our study of the Gospel of John which you can find here on the YouTube channel. If you're watching that, just click on playlist. You'll see the men's Bible study come down, the Wednesday Bible study, go back to the Gospel of John and you can watch that. If you'd rather it more easy for you to just listen to the audio files, you can find our study of the Gospel of John 33 weeks worth Uh, by going to BurgessMinistries.com and clicking on Listen. So if you remember us talking about this, this is when Jesus is is reconciling Peter back into his good standing after the denial of Jesus, and and there's been 40 days that Jesus has been with them after the resurrection. He takes Peter off to himself, and we we have this moment uh, in chapter 21 of the Gospel of John, uh, beginning in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, if you remember, uh, Peter had made a bold statement uh, in his early days with Jesus that he loved him more than than the others. And though the others may betray him, uh, Peter said that he never would. And, of course, Jesus said, oh, yes, you will. (laughs) And he did. So Jesus is uh, refining Peter and revisiting that moment. And when they had finished breakfast, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, and make a note of this as we get ready for 1 Peter chapter 5, feed my lambs. So you say that you love me with an action. I want you to be tending to my flock. You be a shepherd, which we're going to get to. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, underline this, tend my sheep. Did you start thinking about 1 Peter chapter 5? He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter now was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Peter, now to Jesus, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So and then he goes on to tell him about how he'll die his earthly death, which you know Peter's thinking about. Uh, you know, when it's getting toward the end of his life, he's thinking about Jesus told him that he would die a martyr's death, but that Jesus would not abandon him, he'd be with him. So if he's thinking about those things, when he starts talking about in chapter five about how elders should shepherd the flock, I, I got to think he's thinking back to this conversation, and he's lived his life doing. What Jesus told him to do, not not to earn his salvation, but to show Jesus that he loves him because of his salvation. You know that's obedience, right? And, and that that's what Peter is now about to talk to us about. And here's what he starts off saying in in verse one uh, of chapter five in First Peter. So I exhort you, meaning I'm, I'm going to challenge you, the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. As well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So let's unpack this. Uh, The the first four verses, and we're we're starting one now, are going to be rules for elders, or rules for shepherds. Uh, I have an an, um, ESV version, the English Standard Version of uh, of the Bible in English, and it actually has a title over chapter five, and and in my Bible it says, "Shepherd the flock of God." Think back to John twenty one tend my sheep, feed my sheep, tend to my lambs. Uh, he's telling Peter, now you must become um, uh, a shepherd as well. I've shown you how to be a shepherd, now you shepherd. So then you see Peter laying out rules for elders. Now, there, there's a Greek word that you see for elders sometimes, and it, it is want to embarrass myself by trying to say that. Uh, I do enough of that on the Rick and Bubba show. Uh, but anyway... Uh, It can mean, in Greek, that this simply means an older man. Uh, But here, Peter's not talking about just because you're older, even though that may be the case. He's really talking about more of an official capacity in the church. Uh, Elders show up in the early church. If you want to write this down, Acts 11, Acts chapter 11, the verses are 29 and 30, and you see this word elder being used by these men of the church, and they're trying to get money to the church at Antioch, and, and the elders are in charge of doing that, and this is talked about uh, in Acts chapter 11. Would you like to watch or listen to our study of the book of Acts? <laughs> you can. Same thing as the Gospel of John. Uh, you can go to this YouTube channel and uh, hit playlist and find it, uh, or you can go to BurgessMinistries.com and click on listen if it's not available on video. So he he's uh, he, he's he's taken um, you know it, it was taken into the church uh, this concept of elders especially for the Jewish converts they were familiar with the concept of elders um, from the nation of Israel uh, as a matter of fact Matthew uh, chapter sixteen uh, verse twenty one uh, is referring to the Sanhedrin rankings uh, that ranking the Jewish citizens in these categories chief priest. Scribes are elders. So, so you see this concept of having, having these elders, they, they brought uh, into Christianity and into the church. Uh, the word that they're going to use for the local church is actually another Greek word. Uh, it's E-P-I-S-K-O-P-A-I. Now you find what Peter is talking about here. You find this in Philippians uh, chapter 1, verse 1, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, and Titus, chapter 1, verse 7. Let me repeat that again for those of you might be taking notes if you're sitting down watching this or listening to it somewhere. Philippians 1, 1, 1, 1 Timothy 3, 2, Titus 1, 7, all using this word uh, for the English word elder, and this refers to their role as shepherds, back to John 21, or overseers. You see this English word used a lot, overseer. Uh, the elders were not chosen lightly. Uh, as a matter of fact, Paul had much to say about this uh, throughout his letters. and the standard for, for being an elder, not only was it a very high standard. you didn't let just anybody take on this role, th- there was also high accountability for those that were deemed elders. As a matter of fact, Paul makes a comment says you're going to answer you're going to answer to the Holy Spirit. Those of you that have uh, have been announced as elders, uh, you'll answer to the Holy Spirit Himself. Uh, Peter, which is really really cool, considering that Peter was one of the original twelve, considering he was the official leader, or maybe we could say unofficial, but he was clearly the leader of the twelve, uh, and he, uh, you know, had all this great responsibility passed on him. Here he is giving the message, you know, in, in Acts at Pentecost. But yet, in his humility, Peter now identifies himself as a fellow elder. That that is humility. So understand, when you talk about the level of an elder, Peter says, I refer to myself uh, in the the early church as an elder of the early church. Let me talk to my fellow elders. Uh, But there's a lot to learn about leadership right there. Uh, He doesn't consider himself a special elder. Uh, He considers himself a fellow elder. And he did witness firsthand the sufferings of Christ. And that's what he says next. He says, So I exhort you, the elders among you, as a fellow elder and then a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He saw this firsthand. He was also a witness, as he said, to the glory to be revealed. What does he mean by that? Well, I mean, not only did Peter witness the beating and the crucifixion and the hardships of Jesus. He also saw the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, he saw you know, Jesus' face shine like the sun. He saw the empty tomb, meaning that Jesus had power over death. Uh, he saw Jesus walk through walls when they were hiding in the upper room. Uh, he saw him ascend to the sky. An angel saying he's going to come back the same way he went. So not only is Peter saying, I witnessed his sufferings, I I witnessed the glory to be revealed too. I witnessed that, yes, I saw that he was 100% man, but I also am a witness to he was 100% God. Uh, Peter was a fellow elder. Now, elders are, are not the type of men who are swayed by the world and its terrors on one side and then the temptations of the world on the other. It, the word that I can describe best about someone who, who who meets the criteria, and we see the criteria throughout these verses that I gave you. I mean, this was a man that should be above reproach. This is a mature uh, disciple of Jesus who who can, who can handle uh, the teachings of of the Bible and the teachings of God. Uh, his house is in order, um, and he is not swayed uh, by the terrors that the world brings, and he's not swayed uh, by the temptations of the world. He's solid. He's steady that's who an elder is, uh, and I think sometimes um, some of the contemporary Western churches have forgotten forgotten that this is a very, very high standard, and you know sometimes I've been involved at even you know there's always been this discussion which we will not get into today about uh, I'm not going to make a comment one way or the other, but I'm going to make this, and I've made it in past Bible studies, and we talk about this is sometimes it's like you'll see a contemporary western church and they'll take one one standard of somebody who needs to be an elder uh, you know there's the debate on whether when when uh paul is talking about he must be the husband of one wife is does that is that is that talking about divorce too or, or is it talking about that some men had more than one wife is it talking about somebody who just abandoned another wife because if you think about it even someone who is a a, a widower uh they might remarry, which the Bible allows them to do, but they would still be a husband of one wife because the other wife has passed and is no longer their wife. That's, that, that's not what this, the purpose of me saying this is. But sometimes you'll grab something like this and say, well, he, he, he's a husband of one wife, but yet his house is not in order. He's not solid in the faith. He's not steady. Uh, he isn't above reproach. So we have to make sure when, when, when you're trying to elevate people to the position of elder, which is a servant's role, but it's a shepherding role, uh, that these, these, these be men that pass the criteria that the Bible calls for. And, and Peter is going to talk about that. And he says, um, you know, it, it's a different thing to do to be an elder, and it's not to be taken lightly. So let's look at what he says in the second part, of, um, of, of um, and now in verse 2 of chapter 5. In, in the first part of verse two, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So let's, let's unpack that a little bit. So she, that we, the, the elders are to shepherd the flock that God has given you. And I love this analogy because Peter went from being a fisher of men to a shepherd of a flock. Now, if you want to kind of, I'm probably oversimplifying this, but I think it does make sense. Fishers of men—that's the call that, that Peter had in his life to evangelism. You know, I'm, I'm out trying to reach out and 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 bring people to the gospel. I'm doing evangelism. <clears throat> that's a that's fishers of men. When I say men, mankind, fishers of people to try to bring them into uh, to the flock. But now. When I go from being a fisher, a fisherman, and now I go to a shepherd, when I go over to shepherding, now this is pastoring. This is uh, being an elder. I'm now discipling and growing the flock. So fishers of men, evangelism, shepherding, pastoring, and discipling, and growing. He also says that this person should be willingly taking this on. This person should be ready to serve Christ, not to puff yourself up or <clears throat> Not even for some lofty salary. You know that's one of the funny jokes you see out there a lot. Is when was the last time that you uh, you saw a pastor that that felt led to go to another church that didn't pay him more money? There, by the way, there are men who do feel called to churches that take uh, downturns in their financial situation. So I, I know that that's the case. But many times it it, it seems to be that what Peter is saying. Well, don't let this role that God has given you as a shepherd of the flock, that your sole motivation be financially, or your sole motivation be so you can be a big deal. You know, it, it, you know To me, elders, and especially deacons in the church, they, they shouldn't be treated as something other than they should be respected, but they shouldn't be elevated to be of more value uh, than anybody else in the flock. But now they do have a, a unique responsibility, just like husbands and wives uh, they are equal in value, but they have different duties. Same thing for for elders and for deacons and for lay people uh, in the church. Everyone is equal, uh, but d- they have different roles. And he says, if you're going to take on this role as an elder, you you willingly take it on, but you're also willing to understand what you're taking on, and that is to be a servant for Christ and to be held accountable for the way that you uh, that you do this. Now, I want to be clear. This does not mean... That everybody who's who's put in the position of elder, and this includes pastors, because you know most elders, when we think of elders in the modern church, or at least what I've been accustomed to, these are not people getting paid anyway. But some people think that the elders of their church are the people who are vocational ministers, uh, you know, and that's that, that can be a debate for another place. But here's what we know: uh, is that it is not sinful for someone to be vocational. Uh, in their role as shepherd, because First Peter, uh, chapter four, verses seventeen and eighteen, uh, says that this is perfectly fine. Uh, we know that Paul said, "I don't want to go there, so I'm going to be a tent maker. I'm going to be bi- bi-vocational because I don't want to hear anybody complain about it." But he said, "But I have brothers that are vocational, and you're providing everything for them, and they're not wrong uh, to uh, to get it." But what Peter is saying right now. Even though if you decide you are vocational and there's nothing sinful about that, the vocational part or the income cannot be your motivating factor. You know, I see a lot of people in vocational ministry, and you can tell they weren't called to it. Uh, Sometimes you get the feeling that they just couldn't think of anything else to do or they think it's going to be an easier job. Uh, But you can tell pretty quick that they're doing it because it's a job or something they thought of or a field they want to go into. It's not a call in their life. Uh, and Peter says that is not the way it should be. This should be willingly. It should be a call, and you should be, if you're called to it, everything else that goes on with it should be irrelevant. It should be all about the call. Elders should not be forced into the position, uh, but they should do it willingly. You you ever had somebody try to say that they know a call on your life that you haven't heard? (laughs) Peter says when it comes to elders, you don't force somebody into this position, they need to willingly take that position because they've been called to it and they meet the standard. So now let's, let's look at what he says about to, in verse 3. Not domineering over those in your charge, but be examples to the flock. Ha, ha, have a ready mind. Do, do not lord over the flock, but you lead by example just like Christ did. Uh, you know th- this. This is you know you've heard the old "Do as I say, not as I do." No, that that's not that's not in, that's not scripture. Uh, everybody who's put in the place of leadership, the number one thing we're supposed to do is to lead by example. We don't ask anybody to do anything we aren't willing to do, and we don't say that God called them to a standard that somehow He didn't call me to. Well, this is what God says about all y'all. Now I'm gonna live different than the rest of you. Uh, no, that's 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 what socialism brings where the ruling class lives one way and everybody else le- lives another. Inside the church, those of us that are in leadership roles, we're in a servant role, and the number one thing we're supposed to do is not act like that we're, we're some tyrannical leader. What we're supposed to do is to live out submission to Christ and then call others to the same example. Uh, as Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Jesus uh, to the church of Corinth. I believe in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians, verse 1 chapter 11 verse 1 you know where where Paul says hey yeah imitate me but imitate me as I imitate Christ uh and that's the kind of leadership uh that an elder and a shepherd is called to and then number 4 uh, uh, verse 4 peter makes this very clear and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory now, now who who is that who's he talking about and when the chief shepherd appears Oh, <laughs> that That's Jesus himself, who has been given all authority. Uh, And he says, I'm the good shepherd. Uh, He says, you're going to answer to Jesus. And he gives us the good, the positive thing. If we do it the way we're supposed to do, then we'll receive the crown of glory. But the real thing that Peter is reminding every elder or person in a place of leadership in the church is this church belongs to Jesus, this flock was bought on the cross. And those of you in leadership inside the church, the way you shepherd the flock, you'll answer to the, to the, to the ultimate shepherd when he appears and uh, takes inventory on the job that you've done. Everybody in, in leadership in the church, and we all should be in fear of God, but those that have been placed in positions to shepherd the flock and you don't, or you mislead, are you're not doing your job, or you're doing it for all the wrong reason, you'll answer to God on that. And Peter is reminding uh, us of that. So uh, now let's go to the, the the next part of this chapter 5. This is verses 5 through 7. So there's all the, the rules and the standards okay, of the shepherds, the elders. Well, now Peter's going to turn and say, now let me tell you how the sheep are supposed to live. Those of us that are under their authority or their leadership within the church. And here's what he says about us. Likewise, you who are younger be subject to the elders. Now, if there's one thing that I see going on in our society right now, and I see it inside the Western church that needs correction, and it needs correction in a hurry, especially young males, they don't seem to have respect for the older men of the church. I'm just going to tell you straight up. Uh, I see this, and it bothers me. It, it's offensive, uh, and I think it is a problem. Now, I'm not saying that this is going on everywhere, because praise the Lord, it's not. But there's this certain lack of respect. It's almost like uh, you know, if you're if you're a certain age, suddenly these these new young uh, aspiring ministers and these young men of the church, and especially if they've been given some kind of leadership position. Uh, they look at the older men of the church not with respect, but almost with disdain, uh, and they begin to stereotype them as antiquated, outdated, and of course, the the young guys are the one that have this new revelation, and uh, you know the the way the older men of the church did it, and the things that they stand up against, or whatever. I'm going to tell you something, young guys. If you're watching this right now, don't be stupid. I'm 56 years old, so. There's still older men in my life that I'm learning from, uh, but I'm getting to the point where the older men in my life are fewer than the younger men. <laughs> That's when you know you're getting a little bit older. Uh, and this doesn't mean you don't have a voice, because you do. And 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 there's a lot of young men in uh, in in the men's ministry program that we've put together I, uh, I, that have given me great advice, and I listen. Uh, but I will say this: when it comes down to it, there's a wisdom. That older men have that younger men do not have. Uh, on something much lighter, I can remember deer hunting one time, and you go there, and all these young guys, you know, that have all the newest equipment and all this kind of stuff, they're telling me where I need to go and what I need to do to get the big mature buck that's on the land, and da 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 da. And I'm listening to them, I listen to them. And over sitting in the corner by the fireplace is a guy with gray hair and a gray beard. So I let them finish, he never interjects anything. And finally, I look over at him, and I said, what do you think? And, I mean, he just takes a drink of his coffee, and he sets it down. He said, well, do you really want to kill a deer today, or you want to listen to them? (laughs) I said, I want to know what you say, since you've been hunting this place a lot longer than they have. He told me exactly what to do. uh, And I ended up seeing a very good deer that day because I listened to a man who knew more than some of those that thought they knew the most there was a wisdom that he had about this land that they didn't have because they hadn't lived long enough. I remember my dad telling me one time when I got a little uh, bigger and stronger as a young man, and he said, you know, you're big and you're strong and you may be quick, he said, but there's things about life you haven't learned and you can't take me because you haven't lived long enough to take me. And I think that younger men today, would, it would behoove you, there's a word from an older man, Uh, It it would be wisdom on your part uh, to tap into the wisdom of the older men in the church before you run off and make a fool out of yourself. There's some wisdom there. And you have wisdom too, and you're learning, and we need to listen. But there's a certain respect you need to pay the older men of the church, especially those that have been solid for a long time and have been through a lot of stuff, and they know things you don't know. And Peter is saying that. And I think some of the disrespect of the older men of the church right now that I see is uh, is hurtful and it's and it's and it's problematic, and and Peter says if you're younger you be subject to the elders and you close yourselves all of you with humility toward one another, so there should be a humility that we all have for those that are uh, you know placed in these positions uh, of of elder, but we also should have a humility toward each other. And and here's where Peter says humility should should really reign in the church because why? Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know. Most think Peter is talking about a respect uh, that, that younger men should have for the elders of the church and, and younger people. That's true. Uh, but there's a humility that he says should be across the entire body. We need to have a shared humility. And then Peter goes to Proverbs 3.34, that's where he gets this. If you want to write that down, Proverbs 3.34, Peter knew this, and he said, let me just tell you something, the reason why I'm talking about humility is God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. My wife has warned me about that many many times, and we all struggle with pride and and humility. I certainly have and, and do. Uh, and I'm trying to really, really concentrate on that in my life because I think it's one of those sins that we we have a hard time seeing on our own, but it but it's crucial. And Peter's making sure we understand it's crucial. My wife has gone as far as to say to me, as my helper uh, and my perfect partner, uh, "Don't trust people that don't that lack humility. You can never trust them." Sooner or later, their lack of humility, no matter how much they may know about the Bible, no, no many, no, it doesn't matter how many good things they appear to be doing, do not trust yourself fully to anybody. And of course, mainly in my life, she's talking about men, because I don't trust myself to uh, you know, other women that I'm not kin to. You know, My mother, obviously, and, and, uh, and family members, and my grandmother when she was still with us but she's mainly talking about my relationships with other men and, and even men in ministry. Uh, and she says, if they don't have humility, don't ever trust yourself fully to them because sooner or later, that lack of humility, that, 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 that part of their life, sooner or later, either their flesh or Satan is his demons, which we'll get to here in a minute, they will use that against them and they'll fail. It, it's a weak spot. Uh, that, that Satan will eventually find and compromise them. And you know what? Through my experiences at 56 years old, I have found that to be true. I've seen it happen exactly like she said it will. And just like Peter says it's going to. And he says that's why humility, we, we can never really experience redemption unless we're willing to be humbled. And he goes on to say more about this in, in verse 6. Humility is rewarded by God uh, don't be anxious about being under the mighty hand of God. What 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 are we always fighting? And Peter says this in six, humble yourself, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. You want to be exalted by God? He'll do that in his time. But do not be anxious or afraid to be humbled by the mighty hand of God. That that is the most wonderful place that we can be is under the mighty hand of God. Why why don't we believe that? If you want to find that place as the world goes crazy all around you where there is true peace, it's when we release ownership of our life and we release our pride and we just say, I belong to you and I am under your lordship. You are my authority. And I now humble myself and repent of my sins under your mighty hand and we lose fear of the mighty hand of God, or we're unwilling to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and say, you exalt me at the proper time. Look at seven, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Is there anything wrong with being under a benevolent king, being under the, the proper authority that is going to treat people you and me, perfectly? There's no anxiety that comes with that because he cares for you. How do I know that God cares for me, Rick? You don't know what's going on in my life. How do you know that God cares for me? Where is he in this situation in my life? Maybe you've never humbled yourself under his mighty hand because if you have, I'll tell you where he is. He's he's right there with you. How do I know he cares for me? Look to the cross. I don't know where else you need to look. Look to the cross. Here is is the great I am, the beginning and the end, comes off of his throne, takes on human flesh, lowers himself, humbles himself to be born in an animal feeder, and then lives a life as someone with not even a place to sleep, goes to the cross, gets insulted for you and me, goes to the cross and pays the price for sin that he didn't commit, that we committed. And when we were doomed and had no hope of redeeming ourselves and making ourselves righteous, he made us righteous by coming to us when we could not come to him. So yeah, I I think he's on record that he cares about you. Just look to the cross. You can never say, I thought God loved me. I thought God cared about me. He's on record for that. We've talked about that. So humbling ourselves is acknowledging what he did for us so he has our own good in mind when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God where there's no anxiety. There's peace because he cares for you. And then once we start experiencing that, And getting to know him, we start loving him too. And we start caring about him. And that's where obedience comes from. Praise his holy name. So next, Peter begins to give us a warning about being attacked by the adversary uh, in verse 8. And here's what he says. He says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Seeking someone to desire. I mean to, to devour and desire. So so Satan is a roaring lion. Don't miss roaring. That means if you look around, he pretty much comes from the same places every time. I mean, is there really a man watching this or a woman watching this right now? Doesn't Satan pretty much get you with the same things he always does? He's a roaring lion. You know, lions usually when they attack, they don't roar at all, they sneak in. And their stealth, you know, when lions roar, to show what is their territory. Satan's territory is the world, and he's a roaring lion. It's obvious that he's coming after you. Uh, but then we have to talk about, you know, th- that we are to be sober-minded, and we are to be watchful, watching for this uh, roaring lion. Be sober-minded so that we're in our we're clear thinking. How many times has the roaring lion got you because you weren't sober-minded? My hand is up. I can tell you a stack of sins that the roaring lion got me and devoured me because I wasn't sober-minded. That's the reason why I had to uh, stop that behavior, because it opened me up. That's why drunkenness is hated so much in Scripture, because it opens you up to the roaring lion because you're not sober-minded. What's another way to be sober-minded? Knowing the Word of God, clear thinking, knowing, knowing what verses to throw back at him when he's trying to deceive us. Let's, let's take your Bible, look over at Luke 22. Luke 22, and we're going to look at verses 31 and 32. Luke 22, verses 31 and 32. Uh, this is, once again, Peter remembering this. Uh, Jesus foretells of Peter's denial. And remember, Peter's writing to us about this lion. Simon, Simon, behold... Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. He's strengthening the brothers right now. So Jesus looks at, at, at Peter and says, hey, Satan wants you. The roaring lion wants you. He wants to sift you. He wants to test you. He wants to devour you. You know what Jesus says here that always has just been paramount to me in Luke? But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. You're praying for me? Why don't you just stop it? (laughs) Jesus says, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you'll come through, that your faith will not fail. Oh, wait a minute. First Peter, right out of the gate in chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, says that we should rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, we've been grieved by various trials to test the genuineness of our faith. I guess he remembers this. So, so our faith will be tested, and, and, and we pass or we fail. And so Satan seeks to destroy. Now take your Bibles and turn to Matthew Matthew 26 shows you how all this comes together when Peter's writing all this. Matthew 26, now let's look at verse 41. Matthew 26, turn with me to verse 41. This again is talking about Jesus praying at Gethsemane. This is the time where Jesus' capillaries are bursting, and he wants Peter and the others to pray with him, And in verse 40, it says, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, so specifically, Peter is who he's talking to, so could you not watch with me one hour? 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Peter, can you not pray with me one hour? I, I, he says, You've got to, you need to watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So these things happen to Peter, the young man, and then listen what he tells us we should do be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, sifting. Be sober minded, be ready for that, keep watch. I watch wildlife channels. I love them. I love them. And so I see a lot of these big cat predator deals involving lions. And I can tell you something. If I'm watching an animal documentary about lions and I see some willow beast, which undoubtedly must be an easy kill, zebras, a little tougher, antelope, what do we always know when we see the lions coming up? If you see somebody leaving the protection of the group, or they're young, or they're limping, what do we know? Somebody's going down. Because predators, just like Satan, they pick off the easy people. The people who aren't sober-minded are not vigilant, uh, that don't keep their wits, that are not aware of what's going on. They're not watchful. Let me tell you something. If your spiritual life, Is walking around confused. You're not vigilant. You don't have your wits about you. You're not aware of what's going on around you. You're not watchful. You're not careful. You're going down. I promise you, you are. You're not. You're not dealing uh, with saying, "Well, hey, I hope I don't get attacked today by a squirrel." You know, we got a shot. No, you're being attacked by a roaring lion. So you better take it serious. And that is what Peter is trying to tell us. The word here for adversary, which is very, very interesting, it's a Greek word uh, spelled A-N-T-I-D-I-K-O-S. If you look at the Greek here for adversary, what it really means is this is like a, an opponent in a law case. I'll tell you what, it is, it's a prosecutor, which that's, that's what Satan is. He's our accuser. Satan is, is, is too clever to tell lies about us to God. I thought this was great. I saw this in a commentary by John Phillips. He says, Satan doesn't, as a prosecutor, go to God and tell lies about us. Now, where he really damages us or tries to is he goes to God and he tells the truth about us. Because let's face it, compared to a holy God, the truth about us is pretty bad. And I, I, Look, I've had, that, I've had spiritual warfare with this, teaching this class. What I'm going to do you know, over the next few weeks, getting up and delivering a message. There are days when the roaring lion just roars and roars and roars. And you know what he says about me? Not lies. He says the truth about me. Remember when you did this? Remember how you treated God on this? You're going to get up and teach. You're going to stand up. Who are you? You know what? He's right. Who am I? But you know what I say back to him? I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. It's not what you say about me, Satan. It's what Jesus says about me. He redeemed me. He forgave me. That, that, that's, that's who I am now. In the face of the line, we have an advocate for us. If you have your Bible, turn over to 1 John, or turn back to 1 John, I should say. Turn back to, uh, or it is over. to First John, go. Yeah, it's over. Just, just go to the uh, after Second Peter is First John. So, go over to uh, your left, and you'll you'll find it. So, in First John chapter two, verses one through two, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the payment for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Children, when Satan's got you down, I don't want you to sin. Because we have an advocate. An advocate with us in the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the penalty for our sins. Not for ours, but the sins of the whole world. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. So when Satan comes after me, I just show him Jesus my defense attorney (laughs) when the prosecutor is coming after me. Then he says in verse 9, resist him. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. What, What did John just say? He didn't just pay for our sins, he paid for the sins of the whole world. Suffering is going on everywhere because it isn't over yet. I think about when I hear resist him, I think about James 4, 7 and 8, these verses that God used to save my life, submit yourself then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he'll come near to you. We must protect ourselves, but we almost must, back to the elders, we must protect the church. Satan is defeated. Our our sins have been paid for. He cannot touch the redeemed but he attempts to draw us out from the authority of Christ he he wages war on the church and in his schemes and 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 through deceit I, I heard a pastor say the other day and i agree with him 100% he said my biggest concern for the church and i think the church doesn't seem prepared for based on the things we're seeing is that you know satan a lot of times will roar like a lion over here but then he sneaks in over here and the thing that we need to watch out for is deceit I don't know the scriptures. I don't know the word of God, and we know from the Garden of Eden that the, the, that roaring line in the Garden of Eden, when he took on the role of a serpent there, he took on the role, and all he did was take what God said and twist it a little bit. Man, there's a lot of that going on. False teachers, bad theology. Man, there's praise songs out there that are being sung, and the theology is wrong. That that is not who God is. And just just in, a, in a, an emotional song or just a little bit of message, just a little bit of a twist. And, and, and Peter is warning us, resist him. Be firm in your faith. Know your faith. Knowing when you're struggling and you're being attacked and you're being persecuted, that this suffering is being experienced by the brotherhood throughout the world. We must protect the church. Satan is defeated, but he still rages war until the second and final death which is coming his way. Look at this in verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Thank you, Lord. Winning against the roaring lion God's grace will deliver us in due time. Don't miss that Peter says, after we have suffered a little while, restoration will come, meaning that God does allow us to suffer. And he allows us to suffer. But here's the good news but he always places limits on it. It will end. If you've been redeemed, think about the the story of Job. It ended and, and Job was completely restored. He was confirmed. He was strengthened. His relationship with God was stronger than it had ever been. Listen to those words of hope again. Verse 10, And after you have suffered a little while, you're going to make it. You're going to get to the other side of this. God will get us there. The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. As my beautiful wife has said so many times to people suffering, when they start asking about suffering, she says these words, but in her own words. But it really is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. You know what she says? It won't always be like this. Revelation 21 is coming when he wipes away every tear and death is no more and there's no more sickness, no more suffering. And Jesus says, I make all things new. So because of what Christ did, everything really is going to be all right. You will be restored if you've been redeemed by Jesus. But you've got to get to where you're firm in your faith. You have to know who he is. You have to know what he says. And then you cling to those promises. And everything that the adversary in the roaring lion says against you, you respond with what Jesus says about you. Verse 11. And this is one of those parting shots that Peter takes from time to time against Nero. Because remember, the the Caesars, they said they were God. And that all dominion belonged to them. Just a little subtle shot. From Peter in verse 11, Peter reminds all who has true dominion, and it isn't earthly leaders, it isn't kings, it isn't tyrants, it isn't a government, it isn't a president. To him, talking about God himself, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, to him be the dominion forever and ever, amen, to him. Our kingdom is not of this world. I know you're sweating about the upcoming election and all that. Don't sweat it. Do your part. Go out. Do what you think is best. Cast the best kingdom vote, as our brother Tony Evans is saying, that you can with flawed people and a fallen creation. But know that no matter who he puts in that position, November 3rd or whenever it's finally done, No matter how good or bad you may think that's going to be, your kingdom is not of this world. We are sojourners. We're just passing through. This is not our home. And we serve one king, the true king. And until he establishes the new heaven and new earth, you're never going to find heaven on earth. But you rest in the peace that dominion forever and ever belongs to him. So now he wraps it up, and we will wrap up 1 Peter today. So he says, um, Now, this is Silvanus. Uh, this is actually Silas. You know, you hear about Paul and Silas. Um, you know, the Bible, many times these men at different places, they, they're called by different names, which was normal in that culture that they would have multiple names. But Peter is referring to him as Silvanus, but this is actually Silas from Paul and Silas fame, uh, who is there working with Peter, and Peter is is talking while Silas is writing this letter. Uh, and he says, So by Silas, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, meaning he wrote it. I talk, I said it, he wrote it, exhorting and declaring that this is the true uh, grace of God. Again he says, stand firm in it. I love that as a closing. Stand firm. Don't waver. Don't give up. You stand firm in the faith. Don't compromise the faith. Uh, Thirteen, she who is at Babylon who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. and So does Mark. We believe this is John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So We know that Silas wrote the letter. Uh, This this expressing of Babylon, there's a lot of commentary about this. It could be Rome, because we know that's what he meant in the beginning, that he's in Babylon, uh, and he's talking about the, the believers that are in Rome. Uh, for those of you that are outside, those of us that are still here, we send you greetings. It could be some people summarize that there was actually a church in in literal Babylon. Uh, we can't find any proof of that, but that is one thing that said that there may just be a another church that he is talking about, about um, who is likewise chosen and part of the church. We don't really know. Uh, Mark, we know who that is. Um, and this kiss um, that he says at the end, and there's some churches that still practice this, uh, I would not suggest that in a, a, an American Protestant church, uh, most of you, uh, but greet one another with the kiss of love. This was, all kidding aside, it was the uh, the common practice in this culture. You know, you've seen this in parts of Europe and different places of the world where somebody kisses you on the side of the cheek or kisses you here. Uh, they did greet each other that way, and so that's what he is talking about, uh, talking about a union of the brothers and sisters of Christ. Uh, but uh, in, in the Western church, Probably he would say, uh, if he was writing to a Western church, he would say, greet one another with a firm handshake or, or maybe a hug. <laughs> but anyway, then he leaves us with what we've been talking about, peace to all of you who are in Christ. See, don't, don't, don't run off and leave that hanging there. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Because i got news for you. If you're not in Christ, you may have... Brief periods of time of peace, but you don't have true peace. Only those in Christ have true peace. And for those of you that are in Christ, let's not forget that. Let that be a word of encouragement from Peter today. But if you are not in Christ, I pray that you, right now, you reach out and and, and experience it. Now, Peter's told you, and we've told you through these Bible studies, this doesn't mean if you're redeemed by Jesus, suddenly you you get on the, an easy life. As a matter of fact, it may even be in a more difficult life. As far as suffering and persecution. But as far as peace and joy, there's nothing like it. It is the only true peace. And if you're watching this, you're listening to this, and you, you don't have that peace, maybe it's because you've never been redeemed. Maybe maybe you don't really know Jesus. Boy, that could change, though, because we know that Scripture tells us if we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Remember what he talked about? You know, we remember whose authority we're under, under the authority of Christ. You repent of your sins, and you submit to his lordship, and you confess publicly that he is Lord. and You know that he paid the price for your sin, and you say, I, I would like to be forgiven sincerely in my heart. I repent of my sins. And I believe that you died for me on the cross, and I believe that your Father and the Holy Spirit raised you from the dead on the third day that you defeated sin, and you've defeated death. and you're the only one who can do it. I'd like to have that gift of salvation. I'd like to have that grace. The Bible says, if you're sincere and you're the only one that knows that, you and God, that He will forgive you. And that justification will take place. And You'll start the process of the peace that's only found with the redeemed. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. I pray that you go with us and all who have watched and listened to this today. Thank you for the peace that only you provide. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you.